Well, good morning. So who is in for a road trip south today? Anybody? I need to see more hands than that. Hey, that was very late. We are going south. Actually, as much as we would love to do that, and I know this is really setting up the scripture to be a disappointment, I hope not, but we are taking a road trip through the book of Matthew, not to Florida, but we are taking that road trip for a purpose. We are taking a road trip to become more like Jesus. And um, we talked about the beginning of that journey last week. We talked about how um, you are invited to declare your intentions to join this trip at how uh, the, in, the uh, initiation of that trip is a declaration symbolized in a moment through baptism. And it's confirmed in you through a continual discipline called repentance, one that you will continue to practice throughout your life. And since you have returned here today, um, we are going to hit the gas pedal and we are going to go. So turn to Matthew chapter 4 as uh, we keep going on this road trip to see where it takes us. And um, that is really the joy of any road trip is to see and experience the unexpected twists and turns and possible detours that might come along. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now, I don't know if I'm misreading this, but this seems like a very quick detour. We just got started, and now we are in the wilderness immediately. That this is happening right away. Verse 1 starts, then. Then as in immediately following what happened in the last chapter. Then immediately after the heavens opened, and we have this mountaintop experience of baptism, the audible voice of God is heard the Holy Spirit is seen descending on Jesus and then, immediately then, wilderness. That's a quick right-hand turn in an instant, isn't it? That is what God wanted because it says, then Jesus was led by whom? The Spirit the Holy Spirit is who is directing this journey. God himself is taking this journey to a place where no one would want to go right away, the wilderness. Why would God start out this trip with a detour? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you're like me, you know that any road trip can start off with a detour right away. Uh, it's just how family road trips sometimes start. And a few years ago, our family, we were preparing to take a road trip, not super far, but a little far, to Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, we were all ready to go. It was actually when we first moved to Cicero. It was about seven years ago. And we were taking a trip to the Smokies. And, and we were ready to go. I was all ready to go. I had asked the boys, 
Have you gone to the bathroom? You got to ask that. So they had gone to the bathroom. Every bag was packed. I go back in, all the lights are off, all the trash is on the curb, right? Every box was checked. I had a full tank of gas. I even changed the oil like three days earlier. So there was no way anything was going to detour us there. And then as you're in the the car again, you got to ask, hey, did you go to the bathroom? You got to ask at least twice. It's mandatory. And, uh, We depart, we're off, everything is going fantastic. We are around 465, we're on 65 South, we're past Greenwood, we're home free, we're on our way until the phone rings um, and Katie picks it up and it's our neighbor. I'm like, who is calling? And and our neighbor says, "Uh, I know you guys had talked about going out of town, have you guys left yet? (laughs) We're like, well, yes, we are already on the road. And she goes, your cat is outside. <laughs> of course, it's the cat, and I am not beyond putting that task on the neighbors. Could you chase a cat outside? I would have asked them. Um, the only problem was we had just moved into our house. I hadn't installed the garage keypad code yet, and they weren't the neighbors that we'd given our key to. So our five-hour trip turns into a wonderful eight-hour trip, thanks to the cat. I love that. Now, that wasn't the wilderness, but I was ready to let the cat explore the wilderness for the rest of his life. (laughs) And I don't know why that happened. I don't know if God was teaching me something. I don't know if you go through those moments, you're like, God, are you teaching me something? Probably not anything in that moment. It's just something that happened. But I do know why Jesus was led into the wilderness. Matthew tells us, he said, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted getting a little more interesting. Maybe it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would you go into the wilderness? Well, Matthew tells us he's going into the wilderness specifically to be tempted by the devil himself. Is this alarming to anyone else? Why is this part of the trip? It doesn't even really matter if we know why. But apparently, this is exactly what God wanted. Not only that, but Jesus is hungry, he's alone, and I'm certain he is hot. He is in the desert. So what good could come from this detour? And since Jesus is now going to be facing temptation, what kind of temptation does Jesus face? So as we read the rest of this chapter, chapter four, we are going to see three very classic temptations from Satan because he is not very original, but he is very effective. And so he uses the same tricks over and over and over again. In verse three, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
You see, the devil had an opportunity. And there's one thing that you can count on with the devil is if he has an opportunity, he is never late. He will always take the opportunity, and so he shows up. He is right on time for his appointments. You can count on it. He is right there. And, and before we go any further in this passage, it's really important that we ask the question, who is it that we're talking about? Who is the devil? What are we talking about? Who is it that is face-to-face -face with Jesus? I don't want to assume that we all know who we're dealing with here. See, the devil, devil is the Greek word for accuser, accuser. And Satan is the Hebrew word adversary. And you should know that those aren't personal names. That's not the name of this being. <clears throat> we know this is a specific being because there is a definite article. There's a the, the devil. Or when you see Elsewhere in scripture, if Satan has got a capital S, that's not his name. It, it, in the text, it usually would say the Satan. And so we say Satan with a capital S. So who is this? If it's the devil or the Satan, we're talking about the biggest adversary, the strongest accuser, the worst you see, there's other descriptions found in scripture for this spiritual being that is at hand, that is a divine appointment from God himself. You need to come up to your biggest adversary, and scripture describes him as a, a serpent, a serpent of old, the father of lies, the ruler of this world, an angel of light, a great dragon and even the wicked one. That is who we are dealing with. This is who Satan or the devil or whatever you call him is. He shows up to accuse. He shows up to cause doubt. He shows up to slander. He shows up to disrupt. He shows up to steal and to kill and destroy. That is what he wants and that is who he is. And this is who Jesus is dealing with. And this is who we deal with as well. One thing I want you to note about this devil, he shows up. You see, he came to the wilderness. That's really important to know that he comes to the wilderness, meaning there was a point when he wasn't in the wilderness. You see, Satan is not omnipresent. He isn't everywhere all at the same time. He is not God. He had to come to the wilderness. Do you see that? That's really important to know. You see, Satan can't control all things. You need to know that about this being. He would like you to think that he can, but he can't. And so when Jesus enters this wilderness and this appointment is thrust on him, Jesus did not control when he was tempted. He didn't control how he was tempted, but he did have complete control over how he responded to his adversary. Even though he was hungry, alone, and tired, he still could choose how to respond and of course, that's exactly when the devil came, when Jesus was hungry, tired, and alone, very vulnerable. And it's in this moment we see Satan's first very classic tactic. 
he kind of gets Jesus and then also us. He gets us to ask certain things, gets to doubt certain things. And so Satan here in this moment gets Jesus to ask himself, will God provide? And so it shouldn't be a surprise when you have this question planted in your mind because Satan gets you to ask, will God provide? Is he really going to provide for you? You see, Satan is so shrewd. He, he doesn't just tempt you with direct statements. He does it by planting tough questions in your mind. He puts tough ideas in front of you. He doesn't just say something very simple that you know is false. He doesn't just say a false idea that you can reject. You see, he, he doesn't just come up to Jesus and say, God won't provide for you in the wilderness. God always provides. You know, that would be an easy test if he just said that. I could pass that test. I know. Well, God provides. No, he doesn't do it that way. He plants ideas. He makes it hard to recognize the lie. He doesn't make those direct false claims. He's way more shrewd than that. You see, some people may read this and say, I don't understand why Jesus making bread in the wilderness is a sin. I don't get that. Just turn the stone into bread. That sounds cool. Why is that a sin? I don't understand. Well, the Son of God did not come to earth to satisfy his own desires. Why did he come? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve he came to follow God's will for his life, and that's actually why he was in the wilderness. He was fasting to connect with God, and to break from that when it wasn't time yet would be sinful. Using his godly power to serve himself would have been sinful, and so Satan appeals to his flesh. Satan appeals to the eyes. He appeals to those desires in Jesus and in us because he knows he's hungry. And so Satan wants Jesus and you to express your God-given desires in an impulsive way. He wants you to think you can satisfy those. You don't need to wait for God to provide for you. Do it yourself. Whatever those desires may be, he wants you to think about gratifying those desires and not think about the consequences. That's who Satan is. Because we have all kinds of appetites, all kinds of desires that are good. We have good, God-given desires. We have appetites. A hunger is an appetite. It is physical. It is good. God made us that way. He's given us a mental appetite to learn things. He's given us a relational appetite to be in relationship with friends and to have connection with other people. That's good. He's given us a spiritual appetite to, to want to understand why things are the way they are and understand who God is. That's good. And uh, he also gives us an emotional appetite that we desire and need to be loved. That is good. He gives us a sexual appetite to want to be, desire to be close to a spouse, and that is good. But Satan wants us to doubt that God will provide for those appetites. 
He wants us to doubt the timing of the provision of those appetites. And he wants to plant the idea, hey, you can take this into your own hands. Why don't you just do it? What could be the harm in that? And so this if in verse 3, Satan starts planting these ideas in Jesus' mind. If you are the son of God, it may sound like Satan is doubting if Jesus is God, but I don't think that's what Satan means. This if can actually be translated since, if or since. It's the same word, and that actually helps me understand the spirit with which Satan is saying. He's saying, well, since you're the son of God, since you are, I mean, you could do this. Just do it. See, he's not questioning his divinity. He's actually challenging Jesus. Why don't you just do this on your own? What would be the consequence? God's not providing for you out here in the wilderness. Take care of yourself. And so when you face the same question, the same test of your God-given appetites, and Satan says, you can take care of your own appetite. Is it really that big of a deal? when there's something that you know isn't really that wrong, but you want it right now, are you going to believe that God provides for you? Or are you going to take your own needs in your own hands? The second tactic that Satan uses is very similar to that first one. And it continues in verse five, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not put the, you must not test the Lord, your God. A very important note here. As we read this interaction, that should inform how we think and see the world. You should choose your Bible teachers carefully. Do you see what Satan's doing? He is quoting scripture, Psalm 91. And what's fascinating to me is he's not misquoting it. Those are the actual words of Psalm 91. You can go look it up. So if you are trying to discern whether or not somebody is telling the truth or not, and all you do is look up the Bible and say, well, they read it correctly. That's not how it works. What is Satan doing here? He is misinterpreting the scripture. He's misapplying the scripture. And so you have to be able to discern what does this scripture mean? You can't just say um, he read it right. So now everything that he says and does is for my benefit or is definitely what God wants. You see, we have to understand the scriptures correctly and Today, more than ever, I realize that our church people, we are getting input from all over. You're listening to podcasts. You're, you're listening to other preachers. You're seeing stuff on TV. You're listening to the radio. 
You are reading books. You are having conversations with people from here and all over the community that maybe have different kinds of theological convictions, and you are getting all kinds of inputs. And all I want to say is be careful. Be careful. Have those conversations. Have those inputs. But understand this principle. It's important how you hold your Bible and understand how to interpret it. And so if you ever find yourself in the wilderness, or maybe it's just Tuesday, I don't know, and you're facing temptation, you must be reading your Bible. You do. You have to be reading it. You have to be in it. Because you're the only one that can understand the difference between use and misuse of the scriptures. Sit under people that you trust to teach you. Because they're going to help you and God's going to use a community, the church, to shape you. You have to be able to discern the genuine voice of the Lord versus the lies of the evil one and it's not always easy. It is hard. I have a little spoiler alert. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. Jesus passes all the tests, okay? He passes all the tests, doesn't he? Maybe you already knew that. This wasn't too much suspense here in the wilderness. Jesus is good in the end. It's not that suspenseful. But what we see is Jesus used what? The scriptures. He interpreted and internalized and put the word in his heart. And what did he say in response to every test? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is the word of God. And what Satan is doing is classic. He is a very good pitcher, but he's only got a couple pitches. And we can recognize these pitches. And the second pitch is a familiar one. Satan gets you to wonder, will God really protect? Is he really going to protect me or the people that I care about? Does he see what's happening? Again, Satan doesn't come right out and make a direct statement. Hey, Jesus, do you intellectually believe that God protects you? Well, yeah, God protects me. Oh, that was easy. No, that's not the test. That would be way too easy. That's not what Satan does. Satan tries to induce sinful choices by planting sneaky and devious lies in Jesus and in us that are dangerously close to the truth. He uses the Bible it's really close to the truth. The, the scripture isn't what's wrong. It's how he's using it. And Satan subtly uses Psalm 91 to see if, if Jesus would not just receive God's protection, but demand it. There's a big difference between just receiving and trusting that God's going to protect you and demanding that God does it exactly how you think and when you think he should do it. And I'm not sure if that sounds familiar to you or not, but that is something that I see all the time. All the time. That we can demand 
God to act in a certain way rather than just trust God will. See, some of the hardest things that we deal with in life are painful things. The things that happen to us that we don't choose, right? We didn't choose those things. You've been there. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody. Maybe you've lost your job to no fault of your own. Maybe you um, have a broken relationship. Maybe you or someone you love received a diagnosis that leaves you awake at night and you are wondering, God, where are you in these things? Are you going to provide? And when you face the same question, and you will, and you have, you faced this test. Do you believe that God must protect you in a very specific way? Or do you trust him to protect you in his way and in his timing? No one said these tests were easy, <laughs> but that is the test. This third test, tactic, temptation that Satan used on Jesus and also on us is not far off from those other ones. And it is this one, verse eight. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Well, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, when I read the scripture, I get a little distracted because I like details, if you didn't know this, and I think, okay, verse eight, how, how did the devil take him to the peak of a mountain? How did he take him to the peak of the temple? Was this just like some instantaneous, like, whoosh, he's in the mountain, like, was this miraculous that's not really the point of what we're trying to understand here, so I don't have the answer to that, but my mind went there, and um, I'd like to know that. But we shouldn't get too distracted with that. Either way, Jesus is on the top of a mountain with Satan, and Satan is like, look at all this. There's something that I can give you. There's an exchange that we can have. And Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt just as he tries to get you to doubt. Do I really need to praise God? Do I need to? Or can I get what I want without doing that? Can I get what I really want without praising the Lord? You see, we have a very self-sufficient world, don't we? We work really hard. We try to achieve all kinds of things on our own. We are pretty good at these things, and we can make things happen. We can have and accomplish all kinds of dreams on our own, it seems like. And if I can do all those things on my own, why do I need to submit to the Lord? If I can achieve all this, why do I need him? Why would I take my time to praise him? Why would I submit to him and follow his ways if I can get a lot of cool stuff on my own? 
And this is a devious lie. And it's not a coincidence that Satan plays off of our desires to rule our own life in us. He's going to play that trick on you. Maybe you're wondering in this instance, Satan, how does he offer this to Jesus? Can he really offer the kingdoms of the world to Jesus? Well, in eight places in the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. So for in some way, somehow, I don't really understand, the world is under the influence of the evil one today, and he has some kind of limited dominion over this age. And he's offering that to Jesus. You can have dominion right now. But we also know Satan is a liar, and I don't believe anything he says. So maybe that isn't true, and he had nothing to offer him. I don't know. But maybe he did. But this test is a lot harder than it appears. When I read these three tests, this one seemed like the easiest. What are you doing? No, I would never do that. But do we do that? I think we do. I think we do a lot. I think I look at the things that I have in my life and I think, I accomplished that. I think that many times I'm looking at all the things other people have, all the other kingdoms that I don't rule or have. And when I'm thinking that way, I am thinking this way. And Satan got me. Do I really need to praise God if I have everything that I already want? And then I don't. When I'm trying to fill my own needs, do I need to praise God? Of course I do. So when you face the same question, when you face the same test, again, you already have, and you will again. Do you believe God deserves praise no matter what you have or don't have? Or are you going to take your needs into your own hands and think you did it? see, Jesus passed the tests. And the conclusion is fascinating to me. Verse 11. Then the devil went away. Great. And angels came and took care of Jesus. Some translations say ministered to Jesus. And I always wondered what that looked like. What does it look like for angels ministering to Jesus in the wilderness? I don't know what that looks like. Um, but what is fascinating to me is that Jesus received the provision and the protection that Satan wanted him to doubt the whole time. It came. Do you see that? That's really important to see. God answered all those questions, but it was in his timing. God is faithful. He always is. God is watching. He's not ignoring you. He is there, and he is answering all those questions the right way and the right time. And we don't know what that looked like, but I know that Jesus was really hungry, right? And if angels were out there ministering to him, I was wondering what kind of food would they bring to him? And I know the answer. It's angel food cake. <laughs> I had to throw that out there for our students. They needed a good dad joke today. You're welcome. 
God fulfills his promises. And he won't necessarily send angels to take care of you, but he will come through. And you shouldn't get too comfortable because Luke finishes this story in a little different way. Luke 4.13 says, when the devil finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Jesus knew that. There's a next opportunity. You can pass the test and there's another one. This is because this is who Satan is. He's prowling around like a lion waiting to devour somebody. He doesn't miss his appointments, but Jesus shows us the way. He gives us promises. James 4, 7. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. That's exactly what happened. He resisted the devil. What did he do? He left. You don't need to fight him. You don't need to run away. You resist him with the scriptures and he leaves. That is a promise. And as strange as it may seem to think, why would God lead Jesus into the desert? Why would God lead him into a trap to be tested by the devil? I think the answer is growing more and more clear why this is the case. And we are told exactly why in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He's able to help us when we are being tested you see, Jesus went into the wilderness for you. Was that the most comfortable thing that he could have ever done? Absolutely not. Was it the easiest thing? No, it wasn't. Why did he do it? He did it for you. He did it to show you that in your own flesh, as a human, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will. He has shown us exactly what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Wherever you find yourself, if you're in the wilderness, if you are in a desert, if you have those questions in your mind, you know, I've come to understand that the wilderness always lasts longer than you think it should because it's the wilderness. It just will go longer than you think. And you will have those questions, but you do have this truth, that Jesus went through it to help you not just to show you how to accomplish it. He has done that. Hopefully we've learned these lessons. But he's also done it so that we could get his grade on the test. Israel in the wilderness failed. You in all these tests that you already know about, you have failed those tests. And you know what? You're probably going to fail again. And hopefully we can resist the devil. We really can. But the real help that Jesus offers us is his perfect grade. He passed the test so you don't have to. 
That is what the gospel is. If you are discouraged because you're failing these tests, Jesus passed it for you. That is what it means to follow Jesus. He did it for you. He loves you. He is with you no matter what is going on in your life. And he is here. Whether you are wandering or you are strong and feel connected to him today, he loves you and he wants you to know you have his grade. God, we thank you for your love and for your care. We thank you for this road trip, this detour that ministers to us in a powerful way. No matter where we are, you are good. Put that deep in our hearts and our souls today. May we worship you and run to you every day. Amen.